We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Let's take a look here at Jeremiah in chapter, um, let's see, chapter 9, right at the end of chapter 9, going into chapter 10. I'm going to show you a text that is... Uh, pretty much unique in all of the Bible. I mean, you'll know why we would do this for a 4th of July. It's a unique text because in this paragraph from Jeremiah 9 and verse 25 down through verse chapter 10, uh, you're going to see something that, that really never occurs in the Hebrew prophets. There are sections of the Hebrew prophets that are in Aramaic. Aramaic an Aramean is a Syrian, and the Aramaic language was spoken from about, oh, it, it kind of became the language of diplomacy, the lingua franca, from uh, the, uh, oh, about the 6th century B.C. all the way through Christ's time. It's Aramaic. Um, if you ever saw the movie The Passion of the Christ, it was all in Aramaic. I've always wondered about Jim Caviezel how he could memorize words that he had no earthly idea what they meant and say them perfectly, but he did. It was all in Aramaic. There's a section of Daniel that's in Aramaic, section of Esther that is in Aramaic, because both of those books were written late. Daniel is an exilic book. Uh, Aramaic was spoken. Uh, Esther was an exilic uh, book written, written while Israel was out of the land. And so it was... Uh, normal to have something in Aramaic there that was kind of written for the Gentiles to understand. But the largest book in your Bible is Jeremiah. There's more verses, there's more pen and ink in Jeremiah than any other book, more than Isaiah, more than Psalms. And in this Hebrew prophet, there is one singular verse that is in Aramaic. And it's written so that the Gentiles would understand because it's written to non-Jews to understand about God. Uh, it's as if God is coming down to their own language and saying, let me make sure you understand what I'm saying to you. And so this is the one time that one verse occurs in the prophet Jeremiah that is not Jewish. And it's important that it's, it's in Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the last of the prophets to write before Israel went into captivity. Uh, he writes right up until the walls fall. As a matter of fact, it says this. Let me see if I can find it here. In Jeremiah 39, you don't have to turn to it, but it simply says, you all visit with each other. Well, there we go. In Jeremiah 39, when Jerusalem was captured, in the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. Verse 2, and in the eleventh year of Zedekiah, on the fourth month, in the ninth day, the city wall was breached. And so Jeremiah literally writes when Israel comes crashing down. Now, what is important is that when Israel, when Jerusalem fell and Israel went into captivity in Babylon, 
and then was taken over by the Persians. And then they returned to the land, but they were under the dominion of the Greeks. And then the Greeks passed away, and they were under the dominion of the Romans. And then Christ came, and they rejected him, and they were scattered outside the land. And they had been outside the land for almost 20 centuries. And they came back to the land, but they're still under the dominion of the Gentile. There still is not a temple, there is not the temple rites, and they still do not have a Judean king, have a prime minister. Well, that is a, a, a period that is called by Jesus the times of the Gentiles. It's Luke 21, verse 24. He said, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. When God has removed the king of Israel and has placed the Gentiles on top of the Jewish nation. And that whereas you saw the glory of David and the glory of Solomon that followed the monarchy of Israel, all of a sudden that nation is gone and now it is the times of the Gentiles. And it has lasted from about 600 BC all the way through the time of Christ and for the last 2,000 years, the times of the Gentiles. Well, the book of Jeremiah is when it begins, right there. And so God gives you this verse, the Gentile nations, as they enter into a period of time where there has been no nation of Israel, uh, where there has been nothing but uh, Gentiles dominating them, and they have not existed. And God says, I want you to learn from what you saw. Don't you guys do this. Because if God did not, as Paul said, spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. And so, with that in mind, in Jeremiah chapter 9, and verse 25 and 26, I'm going to give you 11 points. If I get distracted, it'll be six points. Okay. But like they had a women's retreat and one of the ladies, Rita Woodall, did a comedy routine on me. Okay. Point seven, this and that. Next, point four is, so I'm going to try to stick to it, but if you get lost, that's okay. Number one, in verse 25 and 26, Israel's judgment by the Babylonians is going to be because Israel quit listening to God and they turned aside to the nations. Do y'all remember a guy named Joshua who said, if you want to follow the ways of Egypt, feel free. If you want to follow the ways of the nations around us, feel free. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So don't you do it. Don't go back and don't go out. You stick with the law of God. They didn't. And so in verse 25, the days are coming, declares the Lord. I'll punish all who are circumcised, yet are uncircumcised. That's the Jew. That physically, he was under the covenant, he was, un he was circumcised, meaning he was Jewish. But his heart was uncircumcised. It was alien to God. So I'm going to destroy you. And then in verse 26, Egypt and Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, and Moab, and those inhabiting the desert, who clipped the hair on their temples. Y'all ever seen a picture of an Orthodox Jew today? They'll have the little black hat, and they got the little ringlets. Well, that's where those ringlets come from. This verse and other verses that Israel was not to imitate the sand people, the people around them in the deserts that wore mohawks. Don't write me, okay. But they would skin it up, all right? And he says, I don't want you to even look 
like the pagan. I don't want you to even resemble them. But lo and behold, Egypt, Edom, Ammon, Moab, who are they mentioned with? Judah. They did it. So God says, I'm going to, just, I'm going to judge the Jew, and then I'm going to judge the Gentile. And if you're numbered among them in 26, all the nations are uncircumcised and the house of Israel are uncircumcised of heart. Y'all ever seen the verse that says, God is no respecter of persons? If you're there among them, I will judge you too. Like that great prophet, Augustus McRae, in Lonesome Dove. When you ride with an outlaw, you die with an outlaw. And that's what Israel did. And so, God says Israel's judgment is going to come because of their compromise with the nations. And now if you look at chapter 10, verse 1, you'll see your second point, that what Israel was judged for was, like Paul said in Romans, exchanging the truth of God for a lie and worshiping the creature rather than the creator who is over all God blessed forever. Hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, house of Israel. Don't learn the ways of the nations and don't be terrified by the signs of the heavens because they are superstitious. They're not true. They're superstition. Although the nations are terrified by them for the customs of the people are delusion. The Hebrew word is vanity. They're empty. He keeps going to say they're irrational. It is wood cut from the forest, from the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it. They fasten it with nails and hammers so it won't totter. You're looking to a finite thing to bring you infinite good, as if it's a God. It's irrational. My wife teaches international wives, and she likes, and she'll have girls that are, they're Chinese, they're Indians, they're the Indonesians are all kind of things, and they're not, they're not sure about Christianity. And Teresa will read to them a verse from Isaiah where God says, you take a log and you take half of it and you warm your hands with it over the fire. The other half you shape into a God and bow down to it. And all of the women in the study burst out laughing because that's what you're meant to do. How utterly idiotic to look to a finite thing as though it has strength and might. And so that's what you have in verse five. It's a scarecrow in a cucumber field. They're dead. They may look scary. Have y'all ever seen pictures and statues of idols in other countries? They're always made to look scary. And he says they're scarecrow. If I only had a brain, okay. And so they can't speak. There's no truth. They can give you no Bible. They must be carried. They can't walk. God carries you. So don't fear them. They can do no harm. They can't judge you. They can't do any good. Do y'all remember whenever the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant and they put it beside their God, Dagon, and you woke up in the morning and Dagon's hands and his head were cut off? And they stood him back up again. The next morning, he's down on his face again. And then God struck the Philistines. And they said, we need to get this thing out of here. And so he said, they can't do anything. And so you have actually 
exchange the truth of the Almighty for something that is an impotent mockery of God. And now, in uh, verse 6 through 9, is your third point. You did so and abandoned the only thing that is the perfect God. He said, I can't believe it. There is none like you, O Lord, meaning you're holy and separated. Whenever God was at Sinai with Israel, he says to them, when we were there, remember that you saw no form. You didn't see an animal. You didn't see a form of a man. You didn't see the form of a, a whale or of a sequoia or something big. All you, you heard a voice. And that's what you're to worship is the God of the voice. And so he says, there's none like you. You are great and great is your name and might. Whenever the Old Testament will say great is your name, it is the testimony that God has given to himself in the history of Israel. You are a God that is the God of the Exodus deliverance, of the wilderness crossing. You're the God that took out Sihon and Og of the Amorites and that opened the uh, Jordan River for Israel to cross and had the walls of Jericho come down. You're the God of Othniel and Ehud and Samson and Deborah and Barak and Jephthah. You're the God that gave deliverance to the nation. You're the God of David and Goliath. You're, you're the God that delivers us from the Assyrians and Rabshakeh and Sennacherib. And so no other re religion can look at the upper story claim of who God is and have the anchor of time and space and history and science. Look what God did down here. You can visit the sites and see what he did. Uh, I have a friend that went to Sinai. Used to, you couldn't get into Sinai. He was able to get in. And he said he approached Sinai and uh, he wondered at why there was a cloud on the mountain because there was a shadow all over all the top of the mountain and he didn't understand it because there were no clouds in the sky and he approached and he realized when he climbed up on it that it was no cloud and it was no shadow you know what it was it was the mountain was incinerated it was black there had been like what looked like a nuclear explosion go off on it. Y'all remember who dwelled on Sinai and terrible fire was God. And my buddy said, his name was Keith Chancy. He said, I'm made quick to get down that mountain because you realize this is where the almighty stood. And so he says, there's none like you. You are great in might. And then he says, you're rational. Who would not fear you? King of the nations. It is your due. Man is indebted to this God. It goes like this. For even though they knew God, they would not worship him as God or glorify him. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. They, man is obligated to worship this deity. And he says, it is your due. You're the king of nations. You're sovereign over all the nations. All the wise men of the nation and all their kingdoms, there is none like you. There is no wise man who on his own can speculate and tell you who God is. First Corinthians, who among men knows the thoughts of a man, but the spirit of the man who is in him, even so the thoughts of God, no one knows unless God speaks. 
the wise men can never on their own, starting with themselves, tell you who God is. He's beyond them. My ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Let me give you an illustration. Back in the times of Christ, there were guys in the East that were seen as your seminary professors, your college professors. They were your scientists, and they were primitive. They practiced alchemy. Y'all know what alchemy is? It's where you try to turn iron into gold. And then uh, they practiced astrology. They practiced sorcery and divination. They were trying to get in touch with the world beyond them. They were trying to, to make contact with something above them to give meaning. And uh, they were called often magicians. These guys were simply called the three, I'm going to try it again, from Matthew. They were called magi. We would call them the three wise men, because those were the guys that were seen as the philosophers and the theologians that would try to tell you about the world beyond. In the time of Christ, philosophy had failed. The Greek philosophy was failing. Government had failed. The Roman Empire was imploding. Uh, religions had failed. You already had 800 years of Buddhism and 3,000 3, years of Hinduism. Uh, Judaism the legalism of Judaism had failed. Uh, Zoroastrianism out of Persia had failed. Nothing worked. And so you had wise men that said, where is he who is born the king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. And they saw the child, and they laid their gifts before him and bowed down. Theologians say it is very interesting that when Christ was born, it was the poor of Israel, the shepherds that worshiped, and it was the most brilliant of the Gentiles that said, we finally found him. Isn't that good? And so that's what Jeremiah says. Among the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, nothing compares with you. No idol, no philosopher can tell us who you are. Verse 8, one of my wife's favorite verses. They're altogether stupid. and foolish. He says, only an idiot would follow after these people. It's a discipline of delusion. It's finite. Wood, silver, gold, craftsman, goldsmith, violet, purple fabric, they are the work of skillful men. You can't begin with finiteness and go outside of you to find a provable knowledge that you have come up with, you have got to explain how you know that by your reason. How do we know your reason is sharpened? I know by science. And what, do you, what are your conclusions of the things that you have studied? So you always come into what's called a metaphysical epistemological morass that you don't know how you know. God has to speak. Amen. Augustine, as we go through life, we'll listen to the best opinions of men as to a ship in a storm unless we have a certain word of God. So God has to speak. And so he says, they are altogether stupid. In verse 10, this is your fourth point. God is the one who will judge the nations. He will lay the ax at the root of the tree and he will judge 
I have a friend that was in our congregation for years. His wife passed away. He passed away. His name was Roy Robertson. He was the first missionary with the Navigators. He was in China for since the 1950s. And I said to him once, with a communistic people uh, that are raised in atheism, what do you approach with them? I said, do you approach that there is a God that loves them? He said, no. You tell them that there is a God who will send them to hell. And I said, gracious, that's more Baptist, I believe. <laughs> he said, yeah. He said, you have to let them know that there is a God who sees them and there is sin and right and wrong and they are guilty and there's a day coming that they will stand. And that with that in view, there is only one way that they can escape it if God himself takes, their, takes the brunt of what they've done. And so he says in verse 10, Yahweh is the true God. He's the only one who lines up with what a God can be. He's a living God of history. He is the king of the Gentiles and he's everlasting. He has no beginning and no end. He never learns anything. He never goes any place. There's nothing he can never do. He never has to get stronger, wiser, or, or wider. He's already there. He is the eternal king. That's why his name is. I am what I am, or perhaps I shall be what I shall be. I'm unchangeable, Yahweh. And at his wrath, the earth quakes. The nations can't endure his kingdom. I'm sorry, his indignation. Have you ever been in an earthquake? Anybody? There's nowhere to run. There's no earthquake shelters. Okay. When the earth moves, everything comes down. I was in one one time in San Diego. The Adams Mark Motel, hotel, I was in a, doing a Song of Solomon conference. And I, I was on floor 13. And our worship guy named Michael Armstrong, he said, you know, that's bad luck. I said, be gone. And I went to sleep and I began to have a dream that I was on a cruise ship. I'm not lying, I was on a cruise ship. And then I heard splashing. You know what the splashing was? It was my commode. And uh, I woke up and I was doing this on the 13th floor of the Adams Martin Motel. I said, I'm having, I'm in the middle of an earthquake. And I heard my worship leader, Michael Armstrong is his name. And he went running by my room in his underwear down the stairs and left me for dead, okay? <laughs> then I looked out the window to see what everybody in San Diego was doing, and they came boiling out of the hotels like ants. And I said, well, I'm going home. I laid down and went to sleep. But it hit out in the desert, and it shook the whole... I'd never been in a place where the... And I could look and see the shadows in the nighttime from the lights, and the shadows were moving. The whole earth was coming down. And that he said, that's the way it is. When God says, everything comes down. And if you'll look at the next verse, you shall say to them, Israel, and this, folks, is the verse. This is the one time in the Hebrew prophets that you have one verse in Aramaic so that the Gentiles make sure that they hear what God is saying. You shall say to them, meaning the Jews that are imitating the Gentiles. Here's what you're imitating. The gods that did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. God says, I am going to wipe the dish. It is going to be like he says in the Old Testament, manure on the barn floor, and I will sweep it out. 
It's going to be gone. Revelation 17 and 18, the harlot of religion is consumed with fire. And so God will rid himself of idols and anything that begins with man telling you who God is. He warns them in their own dialect. And then in verse 12, this is your sixth point. Fifth was God warns the nations. And sixthly, the nations are told to turn from their idols to the God in verse 12 that is the creator. It is he who made the earth by his power and established the world by his wisdom. The world distinguishes from the earth and that it's not just the earth, but mankind that begins to dwell on it. He established the life of man on the earth by wisdom. Question, is there a right and a wrong way to conduct a marriage? Is there a right and the wrong way to be a child? Is there a right and a wrong way to have a work ethic? Is there a right and a wrong way to regard sexuality? Is there a right and a wrong way as to how you handle your money? Yes, there is. Where does it come from? God. I made the ground you stand on. I made the heavens that give you light. And I made the rules by which you conduct yourselves. I am the God of Newton, Marconi, and Faraday. And I am the God of Moses. And so, the gods who made the heavens and the earth will be gone. He who made the earth, the world, and the heavens by his wisdom will stand. There's a play on words here. The gods that didn't make the heavens and the earth will be destroyed from the heavens and the earth by the God who made the heavens and the earth. They're gone. And so Israel, you're hanging on to a system that is going to perish someday. A guy named Abraham Kuyper, Reformed theologian, once said that there is nothing in this world that God cannot say, that is mine. Man has been separated from that by the fall. He will be renewed through Jesus Christ when someday God will be all in all. And his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so they will be wiped clean. One time, I may have told you this, when I was a young Christian, I got a job in an aluminum factory and we made windows and I made the, the, uh, I made the heads on top of the window. Bzzz. I made the heads. There was a guy right in front of me that made the sills. I was a young Christian. And I, we got, I got to build relationships and I talked to him. And I said, have you ever considered Jesus Christ and his claims and who he is? And he said to me, I'm a Satan worshiper. I'd never seen one of them. I said, are you really? Now, I'm not... I wasn't as gentle then as I am now, okay? <laughs> Y'all shut up, okay? And so um, he said, I'm a Satan worshiper. And I looked at him. I said, you're an idiot. <laughs> I said, the name Satan comes from the Bible. Have you seen what happens to him? He gets thrown in the lake of fire with his angels and his followers. That's where you're going. You're going to be in a resurrection body that can't die and a place you can't endure because you followed this guy. Do you want that? And then he was smoking, and I said, let me take your lighter. How about if I take this bick and make a flame, and you hold your hand over it for two seconds? 
I said, you can't do it. And you're going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. And you think that's a good deal. I don't know what happened to him, but I left him with that note of good news. All right. And so in verse 13, God is not only the creator, but he's the sustainer. He utters his voice, and there's a tumult of waters in the heavens. That means the clouds build up. It's called evaporation. He causes the clouds to ascend from one end of the earth to the other. He makes lightning, and here it comes, and he brings rain out, and he spreads the rain around. How many of you have uh, grass right now that's dying in your yard? There's a reason. But you notice that if you water and the little head goes out sprinkling, all the grass is green. Have you noticed that? Well, I was a biology minor, so let me tell you why that's happening. See, all of your grass has all of this magnitude of dirt and minerals and all this stuff to feed the grass. But it's no use because you can't get it from the earth into the grass roots. There's only one way you can get it from that to there. It's by the priests of nature. The priest and mediator of nature is called water. Okay, it's life. And whenever it rains, now the minerals can osmose into the plant and it lives again. Okay, well, man in his sin is in a drought and there is everything he needs in life to grow, but he's dead because he, there's no way he can get truth into him. He's dead to it until the water of life comes and then he will bloom like the crocus in the desert. And so he utters his voice and all of a sudden here comes the rain. And so the nations are exhorted to turn from their gods to the infinite personal God who speaks. Francis Schaeffer wrote two books during the 60s called The God Who Is There, and he is there and not silent. He has spoken. And so, John chapter 4, salvation is from the Jew. Romans 3, what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, that the Jew was entrusted with the oracles of God. God speaks. Psalm 147, he has given us his commandments and statutes with no other nation has God dealt thus. Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, when the nations go out in darkness. Genesis 12 is the setting aside of Abraham, who is the father of the, I'm going to say it again. What nation is Abraham the father of? He's the father of the father of the Jews. He's the father of Israel. And so as soon as man falls, here is Genesis 12. As soon as there are the nations, you have Genesis 12 and there is Abraham that raises up the nation of Israel that speaks to the dead, dry world. Salvation is of the Jew. In verse 14, false religion and its gods, man and his philosophies will be judged. Every man is stupid. Let's all memorize that verse. Every man is stupid. I think that's a sign on a women's dormitory at Baylor University. 
Every man is stupid. He is devoid of knowledge. He can't come up with God within himself. The goldsmiths are put to shame. Molten images are deceitful. There's no breath. They're worthless. They're mockery. Man will be judged now by the failure of his deities. Have you ever visited India? Take a trip and take a look at California on steroids, okay? That is India. It is pantheism where God is nature. Go take a look and tell me how you like it. You ever been to Russia that institutes atheism? Go take a look at it. The whole nation is in need of a paint job because there's no ultimate standard. You ever been to Nepal to see Buddhism? And whenever a Buddhist priest dies, they take his body and they put it on a funeral pyre and the vultures come down and eat it. And so when the vultures see the priest moving with the dead body, all the vultures have learned to flock. You ever seen a vulture walk? It's scary. They walk like Groucho Marx. You remember Groucho Marx? They walk like Groucho Marx. And I've seen films of them with the Buddhist priest taking this body to become part of the creation, return to the creation. And behind, when they're carrying the body, there's like a parade of vultures, wibble-wobbling, following afterwards. So they're going to get up on it and consume it and then poop it into nature while it comes up afresh. You ever sung any hymns on that? Come ye vultures. You take a trip. Go to North Korea and see atheism. Go to China, God love them, and see atheism that is instituted. We had a guy in our church named Daijing Wong. Uh, brilliant. He wrote a thesis, gave it to me. I still can't read it. His wife was as smart as him. He came here from China to study but he was in despair. He had no ultimate meaning. Went to a conference at the University of Texas, our sole University of Texas person right here. We always try to have one for governmental restraint. Okay. <laughs> Steve Poe. He went to a conference at the University of Texas for international students, and he looked at the Texas library, and he saw it had written on it, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And he said, there is final truth. Where is it? And he asked one of the Texas guys. And they said, I don't know. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> and somebody said, I think it's from the, yeah, the Bible. That's from the Bible. It's found out it was from the Gospel of John. Who said it? Jesus. There is truth. Is there a Bible? He got to reading it. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Went, wow, is there anything else about him? Yeah, all the Bible is a mushroom cloud around that. And he read it. He got converted, went to Dallas Seminary, got his degree. He is now a pastor in Abilene. He is the greatest Chinese pastor in the history of Abilene, Texas.
he saw one sentence on a building in Austin. Austin. <laughs> Steve, did you ever see that sign? You ever been in that library? Okay, just wonder. And so, every man is stupid, devoid of knowledge, and his idols are going to bring that civilization to the ground. They're going to run it into the ground. And then in verse 15, not just now, but later, the time of their punishment, they will perish. In Revelation 17 and 18, Jesus said once to his disciples, they said, Lord, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Acts chapter 1. Remember what Christ said? It's not for you to know the time that is fixed by the Father's authority. There's a time when this same Jesus that departed from you will return the same way as he left and will take his stand on the Mount of Olives. And so the time of their punishment, you're going to be a disaster now and you're going to be a disaster eternally. And so he says to the Gentile nations, get rid of your gods and turn to the God of Jacob, to the Bible, to the Bible. Amen. As soon as I get invited to Congress, I'm going to preach this. Okay. In verse 16, for the second time, he said three times that your gods will fail. And now he says for the second time, look to the God of Israel. The portion of Jacob is not like these. You know why God is called the portion of Jacob? What's a portion? It's the one that feeds you. The gods will sap life from you. God is the God of Jacob. He gave them a land of milk and honey. And my eyes are on it continually. I'm going to care for it. He is the maker of all. He's not just personal. He is infinite. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. What Christianity is, it is Judaism and both Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Moses and the law, and then the prophets that say what's coming, then Jesus who came, and the book of Acts that proclaims his name. Where does the book of Acts begin in? What city are we in? Jerusalem, and then Judea, then Samaria, and then Pilate Point. We're in the outermost parts of the earth. And then you start looking at Romans, Rome, Corinth, Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, the city that was a guardian of Diana, the goddess of the hunt, Colossae, Thessalonica, the major city of, of uh, Cupid and Venus, and then you see the, the Gentile world. And then you see in Revelation, come up here, they're taken out, and then judgment starts, and the eyes of 144,000 Jews are open to preach to the world. Christianity is nothing but the worldview of Judaism that through the mystery of Jesus Christ and Jewish rejection is now a spigot 
that has moved over the entire earth. That's all it is. If David were here, he'd be a Christian. If you were in the Old Testament, you'd have been a Jew or you had defected to the Jews. That's all it is, is the promise and the fulfillment of the promises of God to Abraham. I'm gonna give you land, I'm gonna fill it up with a seed, and in your seed, singular, shall the nations be blessed. Is there one particular Jew that we're indebted to? Salvation is of the Jew. Well, he goes on to say, the Lord of hosts is his name. The term Lord of hosts is used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. The making of the heavens and the earth was finished with all of their hosts. All of the ecosystem of the earth was made by God. He is the creator of all things. In verse 17 through 18, learn from Israel's failure. Pick up your bundle from the ground. There's deportation. You who dwell under siege, there is destruction. For thus says the Lord, I'm slinging out the inhabitants of the land far away, and I will cause them distress that they might be found. The only way that Israel could come back to God was by pain. They wouldn't learn through precepts, so they learned by pain. As a matter of fact, God says in Psalm 137 about Babylon being judged, he says, the day will come when men will say, blessed are they who dash your children against the stones. Because that's what they did to Israel. I'm going to cause you pain. You ever thought about that? You know, there's, would y'all agree that we're kind of in need of revival in our country? Yeah. You ever thought that COVID, that, that, Russia, that the Ukraine, that gas, that baby formula, all right, that all the things that we're going through may be an answer to a lot of prayers. The only way the prodigal son will learn is by envying pigs. The only way that we will learn is by pain. I will cause them distress that they'll come home. And the son said, my father's servants have more than enough food. I'm dying here with hunger. I will go home and say to my father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I will cause them distress that they might be found. And so learn from Israel's failure. Israel is given to us as a picture of common grace. This is humanity in microcosm. Blessed with God, wandering from God, restored to God. Theologians have said that Israel is a microcosm of the human race. Adam created to know God, wandering from God, death coming, and then restored by God's grace through Christ. Israel had it all, land, seed, and blessing. They wandered. Their children were dashed against the stones. Someday Christ will return to them. So learn from them. In verse 19 through verse 22, don't repeat their error. They have in 19 and following injury, wound, sickness, 20, destruction, brokenness, and my sons are no more, and there's nothing that can fix it. 
Learn from them. And here's their problem in 21. Their leadership has gone stupid. I don't know how that would relate to us, but it might. Your leaders have lost their minds. You know, when I was young in the Lord, I heard a guy named Francis Schaeffer speak in Arlington, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, Israel, in imitating the gods, made metal gods of fertility gods, the Baal, of Ammon, I'm sorry, of Chemosh and uh, Milcom. And they would sacrifice their sons to the gods as a fertility rite. And they would heat the gods up and place the children on the arms of the heated molten gods. And the parents, to make the sacrifice acceptable, could show no emotion as the child screamed his life out. You let him die. And what they would do to make it easier is they would perform this child sacrifice. It's called making your sons pass through the fire in the Old Testament. Is they would beat drums around them. And the Hebrew word for the drums is called tofeth. And that's what the valley of tofeth was, was the valley of the drums. When the parents, to try to reach supposed blessing and freedom, would sacrifice their sons to the gods. And they would play drums so the parents would show no emotion. And Schaefer, he was preaching this in 73, about six months after Roe versus Wade. And he said, what you see today is the Valley of Topheth. That we have the drums pounding out that we cannot hear the cries of the next generation. That's why Roe versus Wade was a good decision. Put it back in the hands of the states and the voters, because I'll show you. There's 65 million that would vote against it if they were here. But they're not. That's an entire generation of children. Do you all know that? That's an entire generation is gone. And so he says, this is going to happen. You are going to have your sons gone from you by your following in this sin. The shepherds are stupid. They haven't sought the Lord. They haven't prospered and their flock is scattered. The law of God said that if you'll follow me, you will prosper me and no nation will scatter you. So really the gods failed. Who's the only person in the text that proved to be true? God. That's all. I told you. And so now in 22, here it comes, the sound of a report. Here come the Babylonians. A great commotion out of the land of the north to make the cities of Judah a desolation and a nova archaeological dig, a haunt of jackals. And so don't repeat, repeat Israel's error to get rid of God, to think you will find slavery or find freedom. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Has God said, you shall not eat from any tree, you shall not eat from this tree, or touch it, lest you die. That's not true. God's word is not true. Justice is not true, because God is not good. Follow after me and make yourself God. And they died. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew says, and the day you do it, you shall die, die. You will die spiritually, and then we will bury you, and you will go back to the worms. Don't you do it. Isn't it great that right after God did that, he said, here's your hope. Someday the seed of woman will crush the serpent's head, and the serpent will wound his heel. A man's going to die for you. 
Just wait till he comes. In verse 23, your last point, Jeremiah's conclusion, God is sovereign over the ways and the direction of men and nations. I know, O Lord, I finally learned it, a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. What that means is that the best laid plans of mice and men are interrupted by God. You might say, France, that we're going to get rid of churches and put the goddess of reason in its place. Did y'all know that? They took uh, down the um, statue of Mary and they put a French actress in its place. They got rid of God and called it raison, reason. They got rid of God and they put man in its place. And you know what they were looking for? Equality, fraternity, liberty. And what they found was somebody's got to run this thing. And so the French Republic did it. And if you disagreed, they cut your head off. So communism is a Christian heresy. We will bring about the compassionate use of accumulated wealth by getting rid of God and putting the state in control. They haven't done real well. And so they made great plans, but a man's way is not in himself. France collapsed and a guy had to take over and run it. Y'all remember your history? Who was the guy? He was like two foot one. What was his name? Napoleon. He took the earth into the greatest sense of war it would have until 1918. Russia said, we got to get rid of the priest and the politicians. They shot the czar. They got rid of the priest. But somebody had to take over. Lenin died. Who took over? Stalin. You know what Stalin means? That wasn't his name. Stalin means the man of steel. Superman took over. And we still don't know how many he killed. We're thinking it comes to 20 million that he killed. In China, they got rid of Confucius, his wisdom that he tried to find. And they put man in charge. And uh, Chairman Mao took over. And he killed up to 20 million. America has gotten rid of God. And now we've put man in control. What man? The 51%. Which is okay if you have a brilliant commonwealth to vote. But we don't. And so now we're becoming murderous. And so all the best laid plans. And Jeremiah says, it's not going to work. When man tries to take over for God, it's not going to work. In verse 24, he prays now, correct me. The word me in Hebrew means me. Where are we going to have to start in this uh, revival? In me, in you. Correct me, but not with justice. I'm sorry, with justice. Bring me back to rightness. And God, don't do it with anger or you'll make me a greasy spot. Correct me, change me. Pour out your wrath on the nations that don't know you, the families that don't call on your name. How do we know they don't call on your name? Because they have opposed the Bible. They have devoured Jacob. They devoured him and consumed him. They laid waste his habitation. I asked some of my professors that were in World War II, I said, what did y'all think when you heard about the Holocaust and what was going on? And some of them said, we weren't sure, but we knew it couldn't work because they had set their face against the God of Israel. And they didn't. 
It didn't work. And so don't do like Israel did and like the nations that resist God and scorn him and lay waste his habitation. The day that you turn from God, his word, from Israel and their savior is the day that mockery, delusion, and death comes. So what should we do? I did a conference this last week. I was in Granbury, Texas, and it was called Coaches Outreach with a bunch of coaches from all over the state of Texas. About 100 coaches and their wives, we got together and I spoke to them. And at the end, their president, and Pete Giafalo, he spoke to them and he read something from a Christian from the Middle East. And it was really interesting. He just read it to them. This guy from the Middle East said, in our land, we have sand and we have death. And the dunes don't simply stay in place. The wind's always blowing and the sand moves and the dunes move. You can take a picture of them, time lapse, and you'll see the dune just move. And other dunes will move. When the wind shifts, the dunes will move. And he said, there's nothing you can do. You can't stop the wind and you can't stop the drift. But he said, what you do is we have learned that you can take a great rock and put it down on that dune and it will hold everything underneath it in place, particularly the side that meets the wind and goes over. He said, this side will hold true. And he said, what you do then is you can put water all around that rock and dormant seeds come up. And he said, then you can put in some soil and you can plant a garden. And it's all because of that rock. He said, the rock won't stop the wind and it won't stop the drift, but it will arrest it. That spot where the rock is, there will be life where there was death. I think that's a good illustration. Speaking to a bunch of coaches that have kind of become in our nation, they're kind of the priests of our nation, our coaches. And he said, you guys have to arrest the drift. Joseph, David, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Esther, Mordecai, uh, Jeremiah, you guys, Jesus, John, John the Baptist, Peter, Paul, us. You have to stand where you are and say, here is the rock and here is stability and here is life. We can arrest the drift. Amen. Otherwise, we're going to do what Paul said in Acts 17. God has overlooked times of ignorance, of pagan idols. He has overlooked them. He's let you go ahead and live, though you did these. But now, Paul said, since Jesus, he has now commanded men everywhere to repent. The time of allowing your ignorance is over. God has now commanded you to repent. Uh, having fixed a day in which he will judge the world through a man whom he has given proof to all men and that he's raised him from the dead. That is Paul's view of history, that prior to Christ, God allowed evil to continue and didn't destroy those nations completely. But now judgment has come and he calls for the entire Babel world 
to cease their strivings and to know that he is God. China is to repent. Russia is to repent. America is to repent. England is to repent. Ireland is to repent. India, Africa, North Korea, South Korea, the Aleutians in Alaska are to repent of their idolatry and their atheism. And they are to flee, not to repeat Israel's error, they're to flee to the God of redemption and trust in Jesus Christ. And if they don't, then he will return and judge the world. And we will have heaven and hell. A couple of family reunions, heaven and hell. What do you think? Has the world repented in this age of mercy and grace? Yes or no? No. But there have been individuals where the lightning strikes. And what they are to do is to put their rock down and bring life so that until Christ comes, everybody can look in wicked Louisville, Debbie. They can look at you and Sister Morley over here and they go, there is a God. Look at him. That Steve and Austin, yeah, forget it. That's, um, yeah, and Austin, that they can look at you and Rose and say, you know, I believe there is a God. There is a UT guy right there, and he's flourishing. Why? You're the same as Debbie. What happened? Christ. We arrest the drift, and we give the world a message. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. The world won't repent. What are we going to do? I know, because I've read ahead. He's going to take all of his people out. It's called the great snatch, the rapture. He'll take them out. And then he will remove the spirit of God's restraint of evil. And then he will let the world put their trust in a man. What's he called? Antichrist. They will put their trust in him. And then there is hell to pay. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you that you have saved us and you have let us come at the latter end of our country. We realize, Lord, that, that preaching your word is like sometimes spitting in the wind. It's not heated. But sometimes the wind can change. John Huss said some great things and went to the, to the stake. Luther said the same things and saw a reformation. Sometimes the wind changes. Maybe our country could finally, like in 1740 and 1800 and 1858, so it could happen today, have caused distress we could hear the British coming. We could hear the, the North and South coming and repent. Maybe, just maybe, we're not so insane that we can't repent. We pray for your mercies. And most of all, God, we pray for us that you have left in the gap, that we would not be deceived, disqualified, distracted, to sense danger and go silent, to be discouraged, to be divided, but we could stand and as God said to Abraham, be a blessing. 
God, may this church here on this corner be a place of life and beauty in a desert. And we'll ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen.